Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Hey there, this is Nicole. I just want to say a few things before this episode gets going. First of all, thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. I am so grateful. Here are a few ways to continue to do so and help the show grow. One, rate and review this podcast, Found Down, on whatever platform you are listening. Share Found Down with your family and friends. You may want to tell them it's E, rated E, and maybe (laughs) as adult content. Three, Found Down has merch, and new merch is coming. Go to founddownpodcast.com and click on merch. There are t-shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and stickers, and I got some other cool shit in the works. Also, email me at founddownpodcast at gmail.com to let me know your thoughts or suggestions for the show. I love hearing from my listeners. You are the coolest and you are the smartest. Also, are you looking to donate to a nonprofit this holiday season? Well, I have just the one. I did mention it. I've mentioned it before. It's my friend and loyal listener of the show, Tiffany Toms. What up, Tiff? Um, She created Hope Center Resources, a nonprofit dedicated to getting the homeless in Seattle much-needed toiletries such as toothpaste, toothbrushes, socks, and hats, among other things. I'll link her website up in the show notes of this episode. It's a really easy and great way to give back to the community, especially this Thanksgiving holiday. Additionally, I'm excited about this. My self-care for healthcare business, Unwound Retreats, has some really exciting news. With the real possibility of vaccines on the horizon, I'm planning something really big this June. If you want to be in the loop first, you want to get on my Unwound Retreats email list. I'll link it up in the show notes for sure. That's it. I hope you're doing okay out there. My heart is with you. I'm definitely thinking of you. Stay safe and try to stay sane. I hope you're having a laugh from time to time because I think laughter is the best medicine. Anyway, I love you guys. Enjoy this next episode. See ya. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and today I'm so excited because I have critical care pulmonologist and physician scientist Katie Heiser back on the show. Yes. We're going to have a we're going to have a really fun fun episode where we swap stories about um responding to emergencies either on the plane or wherever and we'll just do it until we don't want to do it anymore. But <laughs> um Katie, first of all, how are you doing today? Today this what is it? November 15th. November 15th. Um we are almost 2 weeks out from the election, we are 
what it seems like the beginning of a third surge, probably not even, you know, we're probably just at the beginning of this third surge of COVID. Um, I'm tired. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think, I feel like there's reasons to be optimistic. I mean, I don't know. Things are going to, in terms of COVID, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, but um, I don't know. I feel like the election, at least in some parts, has led people in healthcare to be optimistic. The naming of a real coronavirus task force with like really cool people on it has really encouraged people in healthcare that things may be changing hopefully sooner than later. So, but otherwise, yeah, I can't complain. I'm overall doing great. <laughs> That's great. Um, we, when Joe Biden announced that in his acceptance speech, I, along with I'm sure many other people, I just started bawling. You know, it's like thank God we have someone who believes believes in science. Yeah. And it's, I mean, obviously the pandemic is the most pressing thing, but then there's like climate change, you know, yeah. <laughs> like other things science pertains to. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, well, um, and it's so interesting because, you know, I, I've looked, I, I need to look more in depth with the people on the panel. I mean, obviously you have Vivek Murthy and, you know, the various people who are leading it, one of whom, you know, is a woman of color from Yale, which is so exciting. Um, that is awesome. But then you have like people who are experts in health inequalities. And then you have like Atul Gawande, who's like one of my favorite people in the world. Like, you know, he's taken people who have expertise in like humanism, but also in pandemics and, you know, in public health and epidemiology. And, and you know, it's just, it's heartwarming to me. <laughs> Didn't he write that book? Um... <clears throat> being mortal. <clears throat> I actually, I tell I... people all the time, I... I think being mortal should be required reading. It's such a beautiful investigation into how, I mean, you know, for, especially for people listening to this podcast, he talks about end of life and how, um, not just in the ICU end of life, but that's an entire section of the book. He talks about, you know, he's, he interviewed somebody, this, you know, obviously the original work was done years ago, um, you know, the last maybe 10 years ago, but that, you know, they said their ICU is a warehouse of the dying because, many physicians cannot discuss terminal illness with their patients until it's too late. That just gave me the wicked goosebumps. Um, yeah, right. It's just, and Nicole, I have people to say, are afraid. Nicole, I don't know. I, I, you did all your training on the West coast. Yeah. So having done my initial training on the East coast, I will say the East coast and the West coast are very different in that regard. I feel like the West coast is, very far ahead in having end of life care discussions and palliative care hospice and deciding what a good death is, death with dignity. Um, and I trained initially in very conservative places on the East Coast and Natul Gawande comes out of Boston and he he's an endocrine surgeon actually. Um, so he does a lot of cancer surgery, thyroid cancers, things like that. And um, he admits that he, like part of the book, it's really touching. He admits he failed to tell a young woman that she was terminal, you know, that she had to start making decisions because he didn't, he felt so overwhelmed by the kind of, I don't want to ruin your day kind of, you know? Like, yeah. Um, anyways, the books are remarkable. It talks about things ranging from like, why are nursing homes such depressing places? Like, why can't we make people's quality of life better when they become dependent on other people? I mean, he's, he's a remarkable human being, just really thoughtful. Mm. Yeah, speaking about what we do here, I often find the most radical conversations or radical moves from physicians, especially, is to have those 
bold conversations of this actually isn't going anywhere and us doing things to you is going to make things worse. Um, like what is, I mean, just, uh, you know, I'm going to shout out to Bashak Charu who does that so beautifully. And obviously Kevin Patel, um, and Mark and, Tonelli who we need and Mark Tonelli. Father. <laughs> right. I mean, he's the head of ethics at university of Washington right. and yes. just so much more in touch with this is not helping anyone anymore. This is only causing prolongation of suffering. Like he's so much, he, I mean, and obviously Kevin and Bashak trained under him, right? You know, and they're, they're remarkable. Um, but he was, yeah, I mean, people joke that he's the angel of death or something. Because, right, like, right. The person he walks around with a sickle. He appropriately decides that, you know, we have been torturing people too long, for lack of a better word, that like, this is not going anywhere. Which is what is, is sometimes, you know, you end up with people just dead in the bed for, for months and then, you know, families don't want to give up hope. And, but yet, I don't know, we're going down a long path of moral distress and ethic ethics, but, um, yeah. Um, but I will say, I do feel like the people I worked with at university of Washington overall, the general gestalt was that there was more access to having those conversations in part because of individuals, but in part because of the kind of overall, you know, gestalt of the Pacific Northwest and the kind of way people think about things being different, um, that, you know, you're not a failure as a doctor if your patient dies. Right. Um, and then the wonderful palliative care hospice team that exists, you know, that really can help. I feel like, you know, the, you've had Sam Doyle on this program, the oncology ICU mm -hmm. in particular, those people are, you mentioned Kevin, they're just amazing. You know, they're just so good at this so yeah wow i feel like we could do a, a total show, do a show about that <laughs> That's totally not what we're talking <laughs> about <laughs> ethics and moral distress and um god i mean i've so i've like so many stories that just came to mind you know i mean there unfortunately have been this experience you know stories of physicians coming in you know like with on one specialty coming in to yell at the nurses you know in the middle of the night you're killing, you're killing my fucking patient. Stop, stop comfort care, you know, like, because they can't get on board with the idea that like, actually what's happening with this patient, it's ter they're terminal. Well, and actually and like the during the day, the family probably asked the yes. team, you know, if they could change goals of care. <laughs> yeah. Just horrific shit. And by the way, I'm just going to use this opportunity to jump in and say that since I last spoke with you, I had listened to a little bit of a couple of the podcasts before my first visit with you on this, this podcast. And then I started listening to like all of them and it was, it was life changing. I, I just have to say that like Des, I actually like wrote this down, the secondary, the residue of secondary trauma. When she talked about that on hers, listening to Cam talk about what he's been through, listening to, um, you know, just everyone, you know, love mm. Susan talking about trauma season. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the, the experience of not even realizing there's words for emotions and experiences I've had, and then the naming of it not only allowing me to own it, but to recognize that maybe I was feeling shame or maybe I was feeling like uncomfortable or isolated with that feeling. And then to recognize that like, this is the, the fact that there's a name for this means that we've all experienced it. Um, mm -hmm. It's so validating listening to this podcast. I like listen to it to and from on the way to work now. And it's just like, 
it's that little, sometimes it's exactly what I need to like get over something that happened that day. It's just, mm. it's great. Well, <laughs> I, I thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for being a part of the show too. I mean, you're, you're right. There's, there's just a lot of stuff that we, we carry, you know, um, and we, there's a ton of work to be done, um, for our profession and for the future. And I don't know what's going to happen after this, <laughs> well, this is, pandemic. This is a, it's providing a service. So thank you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay. We're going to, we're just going to have some fun here. Is and, there a um, medical professional in the house? <laughs> is there a doctor or nurse on the flight? Um, you, you've had some experiences. I've had some experiences. I figure we just, we get, we start, we start sharing some stories and see what happens. <laughs> so, um, I was, I also have landed a plane in, in the middle of the, you know, had to do an emergency landing too, which we'll talk about that, but tell me about that story, Katie, what, or whatever you want to talk about, but, um, you've obviously responded to some emergencies. Yeah. So it's funny. I, th I was thinking back on this the other day, there's been a couple of planes and then there was <laughs> the time at Seattle repertory theater, which we can talk about. <laughs> I have one of three physicians who helped craft their emergency response plan since they didn't have one. Um, <laughs> wow. That's amazing. That's amazing um, because that's a huge space. It was, it was a little, and particularly Seattle where there's medic one. And we think about Seattle as being a place where like everyone's super prepared. And it was like, wait, this major theater in the middle of the Seattle center, like this major place that, you know, and then like, they don't actually have a plan. I mean, this was years ago. Don't get me wrong. This was like yesterday. But yeah. It was, um, they, you know, and I, I actually, I'm trying to remember if they took my name or, or you know what? I sent them an email afterwards because I was so distressed by how everything went down. And then they basically, it was me, two other doctors who'd been there did the same thing. And so they asked the three of us if we'd participate in their plan. Um, but remarkably, like their AEDs were like on order. Like they didn't even have any AEDs at the theater at that time. <laughs> So what, what happened? Were you like mid play and they, okay. So, okay. I have to tell you, most of my stories involve like women are not viewed as medical professionals in the public domain. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, you got some of those curse. <laughs> Do you... no, no, I don't, I don't have, I didn't have that experience, but so the, um, that just pisses are, me off. I laugh a little bit because they're almost so preposterous in several <laughs> of them in terms of like how egregious the sexism was, but um I'm I'm at Seattle Rep. I'm my, with my friends. We're in the balcony of the small theater. It's a two-person play. And then, you know, it's like minimal set. And all of a sudden, one of the actors is like, is there a medical profession in the house? And it took everyone a minute to realize it wasn't part of the play. <laughs> we were all like, wait, what? Right. Funny thing was, is that it took me extra time. But I realized later, because none of my friends were medical professionals, that I debriefed with them and my experience of this was entirely different from theirs. And I would say like two of them or three of them are social workers and like, and therapists. And like, they had a lot of feedback. And this was part of the reason I emailed Seattle rep because they were kind of traumatized by how like there wasn't good planning and communication with the audience, you know, because oh. they knew it was a medical emergency, but they didn't know what was going on. And it was like super stressful. And, you know, there was like, you know, they, they weren't communicating with the audience after they said, you know, is there a medical professional in the house? So, 
I kind of registered it first and I get up and start running out. And my friends told me later that they didn't, they realized like 10 seconds later, like my brain is semi-programmed because this was probably like third or fourth medical emergency to kind of hear those words. Um, it's kind of funny, <laughs> the kind of Pavlovian training. I don't know if it's yes. you, but like in the hospital, if there's an overhead click, there's gonna be an overhead alert. I mean, I guess they're not doing code blue yes. at UW anymore, but like if there's a true emergency. So sometimes if I'm like at Macy's or Target in the overhead. <laughs> exactly. And you're like, code blue. No, wait a minute, Macy's, you know. <laughs> right. Right. So same thing with like if there's a clean up on aisle 10. Same thing with like, is there a doctor in the house? So I was out of there before my friends even realized what was going on, right? <laughs> and there's like mumbly apparently going on in the balcony. And someone in the balcony goes, there's a nurse coming. And all of my friends apparently simultaneously without even trying to go, she's a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, that was the first thing I was just like, I didn't even know about that till later. Um, you know, and then I'm, you have to picture me though. I'm wearing this like bright blue turtleneck sweater, a black mini skirt and knee high black boots. <laughs> and I, get, I know those boots. <laughs> I get down to the first floor and there's like commotion going on and I make my way over and I've learned that whether you're in the hospital or in public, if it's a cluster, you always have to, first thing you have to say is who's in charge, right? You show up at a code, you know, everyone's like yeah. crazy. Who's in charge? Right. I've all, that was the day I also learned. I should say, I'm a doctor who's in charge. Cause yet again, nobody assumed right. I was a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> because you know i'm wearing a mini skirt and boots like right so the, the old white men in the suits were the ones who everyone assumed were the doctors which some of them were fair. okay fair, so fair i come up and i'm like who's in charge what's going on and this woman turns around and she's like you know it's that man and those men are doctors and i look at her and it's jenny hartley nurse practitioner <laughs> <laughs> who you know critical care nurse to nurse practitioner who I have worked with. And I'm like, Jenny, <laughs> <laughs> it was, that was the funniest. That was probably my funniest. Like, is there a doctor in the house when you show up and you actually know somebody else? Yes. That's amazing. Um, that's amazing. But what was interesting is, you know, for me and I, you know, it's one of these things I feel like I'm, this is going to change with time, but especially early on, like I'm closer to my training than a lot of these like, you know, retired physicians or like late, you know, even if you're not retired, if you're like a hand surgeon or you're a cardiologist who does clinic, you, you don't remember how to deal with emergencies, right? Right. It's not something you're going to do. So, um, you know, they were trying to move this guy out of the aisle and he was like, he's dizzy. He's lightheaded. I'm like, lie him down on the floor. <laughs> And that like right totally fixed him <laughs> like he i'm sure he was hypotensive and i'm you know i don't yeah. know why yeah it didn't seem like he was having a heart attack he might have just been dehydrated but as soon as they lay his head down and lay him flat he like regained full consciousness and you know he was he was good and you know medic one came and they took him out and you know um, as far yeah. as i know he was okay but um it was the the lesson from that was you know, I think airplanes are more prepared. A lot of public spaces are not. And mm -hmm. it was really interesting. You know, I was concerned that they didn't have a defibrillator. They didn't have any medical equipment, like a, you know, I don't know what you would even want, a stethoscope or whatever. Um, an AED would be good. <laughs> right. Um, but my friends 
were, you know, they were taking, they were getting a sense of what they were feeling, what the rest of the audience was feeling. And so it became really um, interesting to realize that in those situations that, you know, we as medical providers are focusing on the patient, but it is interesting to think about how everyone else is reacting and how the other people who are watching have like going back to secondary <laughs> emotional. <trauma>. Yes. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. They've got like PTSD from the emergency. And so like my friends were like, you know, they should have, they, like, they never really made an announcement until then the play restarted. I mean, it was so weird, you know, it's like, they should have been like medic one's on its way. Gentleman is stable, you know, please return to your seats or something. I don't know. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that was part of my feedback. And, and then, um, you know, they did, they were grateful for like, you know, input about what could be useful for a emergency plan. And, um, so that was fascinating. <laughs> that is, that's wild. Well, I mean, that's amazing though, because that actually helped inform uh, you know, their emergency, well, you, you helped create it. Yeah. I, mean, I felt a little weird when I initially emailed them and then I was like, you know what, if no one tells them they're not going to know. Right. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Um, I was on a flight from Morocco to England. Okay. So we, uh, the, the, the big long haul flights, I guess that's not that long. The, this was a short flight and okay. this wasn't, this is not the most like crazy story that I have, but oh, I was, the craziest story. <laughs> But I, <laughs> I have the, I have a really weird story, but, um, this flight though, uh, and I, this wasn't my first medical emergency. And so just for the record, they, the Moroccans speak French. Um, and so they were like speaking French and Arabic. I can speak some French and I can speak some Spanish. This is important because the person that was having the issue spoke Spanish, but, um, they say that, you know, something, something like emergency, you know, like, oh, in, in, and I was like, oh no, oh shit. And so, um, I was like, do you guys need some help? Are you okay? To the flight attendant. And, um, they just got me back to this patient who was very dizzy. Um, and, uh, not, not, she was able to talk and converse. She was conscious, you know, so she wasn't like super ill, but I was like, where's your AED? They didn't have an AED on the, this commercial flight. Like, I, yeah. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. I had to get over that, but it Seattle, took me a minute. You're so used to Seattle being like up to. <laughs> oh my God. Well, in America, she... right? There's probably a difference between like we have stand, you know, it's probably pretty standard in the USA now, right? But yeah. 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 I just, I was blown away. That lady, um, she, you know, I gave her some. I think they had oxygen. I gave her oxygen. She anyway, um, but she said that this happens to her every time she flies. Like she and I was like, well, then you might. I'm like, does she have pulmonary hypertension or something? Or like, why is Anxiety? she not? <laughs> I know, I know. But she said like um, she gets you know, short anyway, gets she gets short of breath and also like lightheaded when she you know once they get up above a certain, to altitude yeah. yeah so oh i've definitely um, had you know and i did general pulmonology people are you know with bad lung disease can i fly to guam <laughs> That's, like, there's like only water under you the entire way there <laughs> yeah there's certain I mean, flights you don't want people with medical problems to take like no because there's nowhere to land the plane <laughs> nowhere i know 
Oh my gosh. Um, what happened with your emergency where you had to land the plane? Okay. So I'm trying to think if this was my most, probably short of Seattle rep. This was probably my most recent one. Um, so I was flying, I think, I think it was JetBlue from Midway to Seattle. It was some airline that like, it was some weird flight and they don't stop everywhere. I think it was JetBlue. So we get to altitude, like as soon as we get to altitude, like the, uh, you know, ding, you know, is there a medical professional on board? And I'm like, hit the button. And the funny thing was, again, I hit the button. There are two women sitting next to me. I'm at the window, I'm like row six. Um, they don't know each other. They've been chit-chatting the whole time though. And when I hit the button, oh. they don't flinch. They don't lack surprised or anything at all. Flight attendant comes over and she's like, who hit the button? And I'm like, that was me. And she's like, you know, what is your position? And I'm like, I'm an ICU doctor. And then the two women like had whiplash. They turned to look at me so fast. And again, it was like. <laughs> what? Why? Why could you not possibly be like, that? Like what? what yeah. I think I was when I hit the bell. I don't know. Like, <laughs> just like it was like they were so startled that I was like okay I mean again I was wearing like a skirt and a turquoise trench coat I mean but like who cares like yeah so you're a stylish you're a stylish doctor anyway so the flight I'm like I'm like so what's going on and I'm like you know you just don't know yeah. it could be anything no and she's like so this man we got to altitude and he developed the worst headache of his life right and these are like buzzwords right so i'm like yeah right I'm like brain bleed meningitis you know i'm like you know i'm like good to go right and then she's like yeah right and he had eye surgery last week and i'm like shoot oh. me now like i don't know anything about the eye like <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, there's one organ in the body that I like could care less about because it like, it's never a thing in the ICU. And I'm like, his eye, like, I don't know anything about the eye. <laughs> I just went from like, I'm going to rock this to like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> oh my God. So I've learned all about the eye since then, but um, <laughs> so essentially, um, I didn't know this, but a, a number of surgeries they do in the eye, they will inject gas into the globe for the surgery. Oh. Uh -huh. And because, you know, they get out as much as they can afterwards, but people literally have to lie face down. They have to be prone for a week after the surgery so that the gas doesn't go behind the retina and detach the retina. And there's this oh my entire God. industry of beds and TVs and eating and da 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 for people who are face down after eye surgery. Like this is this huge industry apparently. I had no idea. No, I had no idea either. Right. So, you know, you can imagine if it's enough of a danger that the gas can like, you know, as it's, you know, slowly dissipating, it can like get behind your retina, you know, they won't even let you be upright. Like this is a, this is a big deal. Right. Well, look, basic physics, P1 V1 equals P2 V2, you know, pressure volume. <laughs> like what yes, happens yeah. when you go up and the pressure goes down, the volume of the gas goes up. Right. So Basically, I was seem I went over to talk with him and he kind of explained this to me. He was like in the fetal position, like he had a couple seats to himself, moaning, rocking, crying, holding his eye, you know, and I'm like, Oh god. And I'm just like, could this track back into his brain? Right. Could he bleed? Could he well I found out later, you know what could happen? It could have ruptured. <laughs> his eyeball could have ruptured. That would have been bad. I know, right? Can you imagine? Oh, oh my god. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, <laughs> like horrifying. That's like things out of nightmare, like horror movies, right? 
because um, it's because you know there's extra pressure, but because you know they've just sutured the eyeball. Yeah. There's yeah. weakness, and so I mean, I I found this out later. Okay, so my one of my take home messages from today is you can get on the Wi-Fi on an airplane. I wish I had done that. I wish I just like gotten on the Wi-Fi and looked up like eyes are. <laughs> yeah because you can right. you're like wi-fi is available on plane you know um yeah i think it was less readily available then so i was like i don't want to pay 30 dollars to get on the wi-fi but in hindsight like i should have yeah on the wi-fi um the it was another the other medical person on the plane was a, actually a peds resident from seattle children's <clears throat> so basically i was trying to deal with the overall situation and she was kind of keeping an eye on him um, mm-hmm. they had one of those things on the plane, which a number of planes do. And I don't know if you've dealt with this, where they contract with the doctor on the ground. I've heard, I've heard of this. I've never done this. It was so annoying because the doctor on the ground's like, oh, just give him a Tylenol. And I'm like, he's taken two Vicodin and he's still rocking in pain. Like, right. Who, and then basically the flight attendants are like, we have to go with the guy on the ground. And I'm like, why am I here then? Like, <laughs> Right. I'll just peace out. See you later. So, you know, we're trying to figure that we actually were like trying to call the guy's eye doctor because we do have this phone line and da, da, da. And I'm trying to like, I mean, I'm thinking of all these terrible things that might happen, but I'm like, other than giving pain medication and landing the plane, I'm like, I don't really know, you know, and <clears throat> probably after like, I don't know, an hour or something, the flight attendant comes up to me and she's like, and getting back to secondary trauma, she's like, I mean, we, I think we took his vitals. His vitals were fine. He was tachycardic, you know, whatever. Like, you know, it was just, he was in a lot of pain and we, we had a sense it was like the gas expanding in his eyeball. And the flight attendant was like, people are kind of freaking out because he's like in so much pain. And like the other passengers, like, she's like, I think we need to land the plane simply because like everyone else is this... beginning to freak out. And I was like, great, I'm totally with you. Let's <laughs> like, I'm not sure how else we're going to fix this guy's problem. Yeah. And then, and then then there was a bunch of things that like were sort of annoying and sort of funny at the same time. So first of all, they're like, okay, we're like, we're over Montana. Should we land in Helena or can we go another half hour to get to Spokane? That's a bigger airport. And I'm like, dude, if we're landing the plane, we're landing the plane now. Like, right. <laughs> once you decide right. you're landing the plane, you're not like, oh, more convenient airport in half an hour. <laughs> right. Right. No. What I didn't realize is Helena is like small. <laughs> We made the news. There was a news oh my god, <laughs> and there was a byline in the news story that said, "And there was a doctor on the plane." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm famous. That was you, right? The reason I even brought up like what airline I was flying is that whatever it was never lands in Helena, and so they had no manifest for our flight. They had no information, and so like nobody else could get on the plane besides this dude. We were like stuck on the runway, like not at a gate. Um, yeah. And not surprisingly, by the time we got down to the ground, the guy was able to get up and walk off the plane because the gas had come back down. Yes. Uh, but I have a feeling. So what I learned about this, I, I don't I mean, I don't know the true backstory, but he had explained to me at some point that he was military and when he got off the plane, he was wearing, I think, an Air Force jacket. So if anyone knows about gas at elevation and gas bubbles it would be air force <laughs> <laughs> right um just saying there were so there were 
like I had, I, I'm never going to know the answer, but I feel like this guy knew he was taking a ridiculous gamble. I have a feeling this guy knew it was like really dicey and he decided to go for it anyway. So when I talked to him, you know, while I was getting information from him when he was in pain, I asked him, did you ask your doctor if you could fly? And he didn't really answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I asked him what the deal was with the eye surgery. And apparently he had been injured by an IED in the Middle East and had, had oh. multiple eye surgeries. So my guess is he probably lost vision because he went up in the plane, but his eye was already like pretty much non-functional anyways. Wow. Because after I read about yeah. this later about like what happens when gas expands in your eye, I was like, ooh, that surgery just probably just got completely yeah. eliminated. <laughs> just Yes, right. Anything that was done there was undone. The other um, funny part of this story, which I mean, that's that stuff's not funny, I guess. But again, you have to laugh. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sorry, you, you have to laugh. You do. We, uh, we get to yeah. we get to Seattle. And so we've ended up being two hours late because we stopped in Helena and took off again. Right? Mm-hmm. And we get to Seattle and we're at baggage claim. It was one of those times I wish I hadn't checked the bags. We're all like waiting at baggage claim. And again, I'm wearing like this bright turquoise trench coat. And I've been standing up at the front of the plane. So it's like, I'm kind of obvious. Yeah, right. And people started coming up to me and they're like, you are the doctor, right? And I'm like, I'm so like, oh God, I just made everyone late. And then people start being like, you did a really good job. And I'm like, all I could think was, you have no idea if I did a good job. That's nice though. I, that, yeah. I appreciated the, like, you know, the support, but it was just kind of funny because I'm like, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know the guy's medical history. They didn't know what I did. They didn't know what I didn't Mm -mm. do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was so grateful. Thank you. I was so grateful to get my bag and get the hell out of there because I'm like, for every person who's thanking me, I'm sure there's people who are like, she made me late. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I'll tell you my story in a minute, but like when I landed that, when we landed a plane, we landed, we ended up in Amarillo as our emergency where we landed. And, and there's this whole protocol. If you do an emergency landing, you have to have a special crew come evaluate your plane. So everybody had to get off and I'm like, Oh fuck. Oh fuck. Everyone's going to be like, you fucked my plans. Like, you, you know, you ruined Why did my you vacation. Land the plane? Why did you land the plane? Okay. So back up. So, okay. So I'm, we're on our way to Mexico by way of Dallas and maybe like three hours, you know, it's like four hour flight, maybe like, I don't know, two hours in, three hours in. Oh, before, wait, I had a premonition on the plane. Like I, I said, I said to Rob, I was like, I know a lot of nurses have had to respond to medical emergencies before. I hope I don't have to do that anytime soon. And then just like that. Wait, was this your first? This was my first. Oh my god! I have serious PTSD from this oh, experience. No. By the way, um, I so I jumped up because I was just thinking about this very thing. So I like jumped out of my seat before, like I didn't even push the call light, you know, or the call bell. Um, and so I go back there, and there's this woman who is like in and out of consciousness. Um. But she has a thready pulse. The flight attendants try to give me, you know, some, their AED. She doesn't, she's not in abnormal rhythm or anything. But, um, but she keeps like moaning and like occasionally she's, 
semi, she he never loses a pulse, but she's like semi unconscious or semi like, I don't know. I, I was just like, you know, trying to keep her awake. And did you put in an IV? Um, I did. I tried. I didn't. Um, but I was asking her, you know, like trying to get medical history. Yeah. She, there was nothing. She had nothing. She was like a 30 year old lady. Um, and she starts, you know, occasionally just she'll say something, you know, like I'm dying, I'm dying. Those words, you know, like oh, that you like pay attention terrifying. to. <laughs> right. Like, you know, like impending doom. I'm having that feeling of impending doom, you know, whatever it Which, is like if, those. If you work in the ICU, you know, to believe people. <laughs> I know. I, I was like, I don't know what, and there was, she was, sometimes she was saying like, my brain is, my brain's cramping. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Is she having a stroke? Is she like, you know, I don't know. She said she had ting tingling in her extremities. I, I'm like, is she hypoxic? Is she, what is she? I don't, I don't know, you know? Um, and there was another nurse from Harborview there and she had initially come up and then she went back to her seat, but I was like to the flight attendants, I'm like, where is that other person? Two heads are better than one. Like, I don't know. They didn't call the doctor on the ground. Like right. no one was, you know, talking. I mean, anyway, it was just me and, um, this other nurse came back and we were like, I, I don't know. I don't know. And they were like, should we land the plane? Should we land the plane? And I was just was like, Oh my God, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's wrong with what's her. Hearing and what you're saying, I'd be like, yes, 30 year old Freddie pulse in and out of consciousness. I'd be like, yes. <laughs> so I did. I mean, I took me like 30 seconds. I mean, I was with her for maybe 50. I, it felt like an eternity, but, I mean, it seemed like but such a huge decision in the moment to land a plane. It did. It did. Like, um, <clears throat> so I did say yes. And then my husband likes to describe it as like the most exciting flight of his life because the pilot then became like an ambulance driver in the sky and she just went like, you know, screaming through down through the sky. And it was, you know, really exciting flight, you know, <laughs> like riding in an ambulance, but being in a, in an airplane. You don't have anyway, flying and crashing. <laughs> right. I know. So it was, it. so I was trying to actually place an IV and I was like, she should probably could use some fluid or whatever. Um, to, just by the way, you telling me that makes me feel so much better What that like, that like I, I should have said like saying yes was the right answer because I wrestled with that for so long. Um, but anyway, I'll get back to like, that later, but very objectively, just hearing what you said, like, right. Like there's so many things that could be wrong and she's a young woman and she should be healthy and she shouldn't be like, and you can't fix them in a plane. That's true. That's totally so true. So we land the AM, you know, EMS comes on, you know, gets her. She, she's remarkably better. She like is able to her. She basically like perks up as soon as we get down into the ground. So that baffled me too. I was like, why is that? Is, was it because she was hypoxic? Didn't have enough oxygen? Like it, was it because I don't, I don't know. It was, I was totally mystified. I don't think she was having a panic attack because you said that it was. <clears throat> And, um, then she was clammy and she was also, you know, like I said, in and out of consciousness, yeah. um, that doesn't, ha oh, that doesn't happen yeah. to panic attacks, but, um, anyway, they got her off the flight and then we all, um, disembarked the plane. Um, the flight attendants <laughs> were like, Oh my God, thank you. You know? And, and, well, they're uh, freaking they gave out. Me... like, again, they don't want to be the ones to have to make decisions. You made the decision. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. And so um, they like, they, they give me a water bottle full of vodka. They filled like their, like a, you know, five, what, five little mini things and vodka and gave it to me. And I was like, I don't, okay. Um, That's what I got then, on the flight to Helena. They're like, here, have some booze. I'm like, that great. That's awesome. Can I get a free flight? <laughs> right. <laughs> So eventually we, we all disembarked the plane. Oh, the pilot asked me like, you know, what, you know, about it, about the experience or what could I learn? Um, the, the one thing that was weird was they did have a blood pressure cuff mm-hmm. or they had, um, you know, blood pressure monitoring system, but it was like something I'd never used before. It was like semi manual and semi automatic. Like. And I was like, I don't, and especially I, I'm flooded with adrenaline. So I'm like, I don't know how to work this thing. Is it, is it not taking a blood pressure because she doesn't have a blood pressure? Or I'm not using it properly. You, or I'm not using it properly, but I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, she wasn't looking great. Um, but anyway, so um, everybody, as we're like in the airport, I'm like freaked out because I'm afraid like everyone's going to be mad at me for this experience of de- basically derailing their whole plans. Um, but people were being so nice and they said like, if I was on the plane and I wasn't doing well, like I would want, you know, I'd want you to land the plane for me. And there's, you know, really there's nice things. Some jerks who are like their plans got messed up, but I think hopefully most people can look at it and be like, Oh wow. Something happened to me on the plane. There'd be a good Samaritan, you know, like, yeah, I mean, it's anxiety producing for everyone to know there's a sick person on the plane. Right. Um, they bumped, they ended up bumping us up to bumping me up to first class on the way back and, um, gave me some champagne and they, they did, we missed our flight. So we ended up spending a night in Dallas, but whatever, it was totally fine. The weirdest um, thing about and... these experiences is we never find out what happened to people. Yes. Because there's like HIPAA. So like technically there's nothing, there's no way you can find out. Yeah. Right. Like that person that Nicole Kupchik helped save. Did you listen to that episode yet? I haven't listened to that one yet. She, um, she talks about a bystander CPR situation, which is, which is incredible at SeaTac Airport. You should listen to it. Um, but, you know, she never finds out what happens to that person. Yeah. So it's just like, like, like you said, like, I, I don't know. I can't actually, you know what? I feel like I have like a weight lifted off of me after telling this story and, and hearing you say that that was the right decision. I, yeah. Like, you know, it I is, always, I always wondered. I mean, I think about that too. I replay the experiences I've had and, um, I will tell you objectively hearing about it on this end. I'm like, oh yeah, of course you made the right decision. Like, there's just no question. But like, you know, I'm sure, in, like I was in the moment, like why didn't I land the plane earlier with the guy with the eye? Like, what was I gonna do? You know, but like it, part of it was, it was the eye and I don't know anything about the eye, right? <laughs> right, right. And I think particularly in the setting of, I have no idea what's going on here. Like if someone's having a clear mm-hmm. heart attack, you're like, okay, land the plane, right? Um, yeah, cardiac arrest. My friend right. Heather had this amazing experience. She was flying, can't remember where to New York. It was maybe a three or four hour flight. And this girl began having a massive asthma attack. And she basically, I've always thought about this. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to use anyone else's medications for somebody else, but everyone's supposed to have their medications on the plane. So like 
someone's having a heart attack, I'd be like, who's got sublingual nitroglycerin? Because somebody on this plane's going to have it, right? Totally. Someone's going to have metoprolol. Someone's going to have aspirin. Someone's going to have, you know, whatever. Um, she basically was like, everybody who has an albuterol inhaler, I need it right now. And they basically just back to back to back to back. Like they, ne- they didn't land the plane early. They ended up making it all the way to New York. She was a little bit of a cowgirl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, she kept getting a little bit better with the albuterol and then getting tight again. So they just kept, who else has an albuterol inhaler? <laughs> just puff, 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 and puff, puff, puff. And she ended up finding out the end of that story. The girl did fine because by some completely weird fluke, she was the daughter of the person who owned the pub next to Columbia. Like where we did residency, like where, you know. Oh my gosh. And so like my friend became like the local hero because. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But That's awesome. I've always figured like, I mean, I haven't had to do this, but like, right. People supposed to have their medication in their carry-on, right? So like. Yeah, totally. You could begin to like, you know, start asking people if, if you know what it is. And in your situation, like there was, you know, especially in a 30 year old woman, what is she, you know, let's say she had a PE. What the hell are you going to do? You know, I know. <laughs> let's say she's, you know, she, her brain's hurting. She's bleeding into her head. What are you going to do? Like, you know, right. you got to land the plane. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. I found out like she, cause I asked <clears throat> if she was on any medication, she said gancyclovir. And I was like, that's weird. Why is, why? Right. You have CMV? Like, yeah. <laughs> what? I was like, what the hell? I couldn't, I mean, like, that was it. That's then, all I had. You know, it turns out she's had an organ transplant and that's why she's on it. <laughs> she's- right. I know. Just like, oh my God. Oh my God. Um, Can I take I have- one? Yes. Yes. So this is another example. I've had a couple where I like, you know, being at Seattle Rep and actually my first one was someone, kid with respiratory stuff. But like when it's something where you have no clue, it's always like super embarrassing because you're like the eye, you know, it's like, I don't know. Well, I don't know. So it's the summer after I finished residency at Columbia. You know, like I'm probably the most trained up almost that I'm ever going to be. I just finished internal medicine residency. I'm about to start critical care. You know, I should know everything there yeah. is to know about medicine. <laughs> and I'm flying to Spain from New York City. And somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean, <laughs> you know, is there a medical professional on board? And this is a huge plane. It's got the two aisles. And so yes. at the back of the plane, there's this almost like big open space. Cause there's like the bathrooms and the galley and the whatever. Mm-hmm. So the call comes and I'm traveling with uh, my friend, Amy, <clears throat> who is one of the um, ICU pharmacists at Columbia. So she just turns to me and she's like, Katie, you should go. <laughs> Her job go. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, I'll let you know when I need my pharmacist. Yeah, She's like, you know, let me know if you need anything, but go. Um, I've had other friends be like, do you really have to? I'm like, you know, but it was funny. She was like, go Katie, this is your job. So I get to the back of the plane and there's this big group of people and there's like a bunch of guys and then two women. And again, I show up and I'm like, you know, what's going on? Who's in charge? And it turns out the patient is a 20 something year old woman who is something weeks pregnant, early somewhere, I can't remember, between like 16 and 20 weeks, something, who's mm-hmm. had some bleeding. Uh-oh. And part of me is kind of like, what do you expect us to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, over the ocean. Like, what, what? Right? And so her vital signs were fine. You know, she wasn't actively hemorrhaging, right? Right. She wasn't showing signs of being hypotensive or anything. Um, 
but I'm like, pregnancy? <laughs> this is not my thing. <laughs> You're like, I, again, uh, I'm like, else. I'm like, again, like, can we come up with things that I have no expertise in at all? <laughs> so um, at that point, I realized from hearing other people talk about like, you know, what if the only other doctor is a 75 year old hand surgeon, you know, like, you know, so I said, okay, a big group of doctors, I'm like, or medical professionals, I'm like, let's all identify our specialty and like figure out, you know, yeah. out all the guys were urologists <laughs> and they were on their way to a conference together oh my god and like they don't know anything about a young pregnant woman <laughs> and so and then one of the women was a family practice nurse practitioner she was obviously the woman who saved the day in the end which i'll tell you about in a second and i can't remember who it was but um once we realized that we had like an internal medicine doctor and family practice we just looked at the urologist and we're like you can sit down and they <laughs> They were so relieved. <laughs> all I can imagine is that they made the call and like nobody wanted to get up, but like they all had to be cool, you know, because they all knew that everyone else with them was, you know, they all knew they were all doctors. Yeah. So like they all got up and they all came down, but none of them had any clue. <laughs> I love it. They're like, no, um, pre pregnancy. Yeah. They were so relieved. They were like, bye. <laughs> so you know, I'm like, oh God, pregnant, you know, like, again, she's not hemorrhaging. I could feel right. like a hemorrhage, right? But like, right. a little bit of bleeding, I'm like, I don't know. So the nurse practitioner pulled his pulse her aside and she's like, sweetheart, when did you last have intercourse? Oh, last night? You're fine. Go sit down. <laughs> <laughs> just a little post-coital exactly. bleeding. And it was just, and you know what? I was like, 10 bucks says that girl goes straight to a doctor when she lands in Barcelona. You know, yes. I don't know what it's like to be 23 on my first pregnancy and bleeding, you know, Hey, I'm not going to, Oh my God. Yeah. But, um, but it was funny. Cause I was like, I was like, I don't know what this is. And the nurse practitioner was so calm. She was just like, yeah, you're good. We're fine here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. I love it. Um, my last story, um, I was, it was an international flight. I was, um, on my way to Bangkok. This was the 11th hour of a 12 hour flight. I'm getting 80 uh, songs in my head now. <laughs> One night in Bangkok. So they announce there's, there's a medical emergency. So I go to the back of the plane and so you're over I, land at this point or are you over water no we're over water yeah. like um and maybe it was like two hours left of the flight but um I go back in the back and there's a bunch of people around and I'm just like oh they got it covered whatever you know so I was like I'm gonna go so I go go back to my seat about 20 minutes later, someone, a guy comes, this Chinese man comes to me. And this, the interesting thing about this whole experience is it was a very multilingual mm -hmm. experience. Right. Um, but anyway, this man comes to me and he's like, do you know how to put in a Foley catheter? And I was like, yes. But like, do you really know how? I was like, yes, yes absolutely I do. <laughs> and he was like, can you do it? Wait, right. Do they like sterile On the plane? They have a Foley? I was, I don't, I mean, they have, I was like, if they have the supplies and the equipment that I need, I will do it. Yeah. Um, and he was like, okay, we have a woman who hasn't 
peed uh, the entire time in this flight, and I'm worried that she's going to rupture her bladder. Um, and she, and so I'm like, okay, okay. So I, I, I get up, I go to the front of the plane with the flight attendants. They give me these like two giant silver tins of medical equipment. I'm like rifling through it. I'm like, Oh, I guess you can intubate somebody. Oh, you can clamp. <laughs> like there's a laryngoscope and I was like, Oh, and then there was like a clamp for like umbilical cord and there was all kinds of stuff and all yeah, you kinds can deliver of med- babies on a plane. Not that I could. <laughs> as we have established right oh i feel like you could um clamp an umbilical cord and catch a baby i don't know i'm over i'm i'm anyway um (laughs) I, i have confidence in you anyway so i finally find i find a i find an actual catheter but there's no bag attached to it i find some like cleansing wipes that are semi-sterile or probably not technically sterile but I was like all right well I got what I need here get some antibiotics later (laughs) I know I know I so they bring this woman up to me and um I was I was they had a big like blanket for her and I kind of tell her what I'm gonna do in you know like she speaks Vietnamese um and the flight attendant speak Mandarin I think or is Taiwanese any privacy well, yeah. So there was privacy. I was so that was really nice because it was like in an alcove okay. up towards where the where the you know the pilots are, okay. um, and they were able to pull a curtain. But I did tell the one of the stewardesses or the flight attendants rather, um, I'm gonna need you to hold a flashlight <laughs> and help me, right? Because mm-hmm. I only have I have one catheter and I have and then meanwhile I'm like, well, my would my other friends do this? Like, would my nursing professional colleagues do that? I just, but I was like, oh, fuck it. I don't care. I'm going to just do this. I would have um, done it. And I've placed many fewer Foley's than you have. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I was like, okay, I've got one shot, you know, female anatomy is weird. Um, I, you know, she, I lay her down, pull up her skirt. She's not wearing an underwear. And I was like, well, that's weird, but okay, whatever. Um, and luckily everything's like crystal clear and I can see everything I need to see. I place it and she only like pees like 30 cc's and you're like that's not expected I'm like that's not expected and I'm like is she going into renal failure or what because she was hypertensive um but anyway sort of anticlimactic but like I did it and she didn't have much to pee so I just told the doc like obviously she's got to go see somebody you know when she gets out the plane and whatever but random placing a fully Fully catheter at That's thirty thousand feet. Experience. Yeah, it was pretty weird, pretty wild. My former mentor at UW, who um, will remain nameless, but who I'm sure you worked with at some point. He was mostly a researcher, and he um, did critical care for a while. Then I don't think he's doing any more clinical work. But um, for a while, every flight he was on, he was placing IVs on people. And I'm like, I'm not getting on a plane with you. <laughs> what the heck oh my god. <laughs> Like I've never, I've never placed an IV on a plane. I've had, you know, three or four medical emergencies, but never needed to actually like place an IV. And I'm like, why have you been on seven or eight flights? (laughs) Right. Like what is going on? Yeah. My, my friends joke, like, do you have, are you, are you creating these emergencies? Do you have Munchausen's or, or whatever, you know, I'm like, no, no, just random. Well, so because I brought up the whole gender thing, the, uh, my very first medical emergency, I was um, flying to Hawaii. And um, the 
the patient was the kid sitting in front of me. Mm-hmm. His parents were there. He was probably like three. And he had, apparently I got this whole story, had a sibling who had recently been diagnosed with asthma, like an older sibling. And I feel like, again, I'll never know what happened to this kid because they leave the plane and you don't find out. But yeah, um, my interpretation was that the parents were super PTSD from their other kid. I think he had like a really bad asthma attack and like they were super concerned about asthma. And so the mm-hmm. kid, the older kid had an asthma inhaler, but I think had been like hospitalized for asthma like six months before, you know, whatever. Um, and they had like a little nebulizer and stuff. And um, the little kid had a cold and he apparently said to the mom, I'm having problems breathing. And I examined this kid. So I'm pretty sure he, it wasn't his lungs. I think he meant like his nose was congested. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the parents are freaking out and they have to, before they can, they had already tried the other kid's nebulizer on him and the kid was mm-hmm. still like, it's still hard to breathe. And then they were trying to figure out if they were gonna crack oxygen, but to do that, they needed to get a, a medical professional involved. Like the flight like, attendant oh. can't just like bust out oxygen. Okay. okay. So they're like, is there a medical professional on board? And I'm literally, I'm seeing all this play out. They're sitting right in front of me. I'm a first year pulmonary fellow, you know, I'm like, of course I'm gonna, you know, right? Help, yeah. Um, I'm wearing shorts, t-shirts and flip-flops. So I'm like- Cause you're going to Hawaii. I'm going to Hawaii on vacation. Right. So the flight attendant says, I can't remember if it was like initially or after I was like, the kid's fine, don't worry about it. Um, like. <laughs> show me your doctor ID card. And I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> Sorry. I know, totally. I was like, first of all, there ain't no thing. That's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an international doctor license I- you carry around with. You know, but even if like, I do have like a hospital ID, but why would I bring it on vacation? <laughs> so like, I literally have since then, I have a photo of my medical license on my phone because I just don't want to deal with this nonsense ever again, right? Yeah. So right. you know, I mean, basically, they 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 had a stethoscope and whatever, and you know, I, I assessed the kid, and he was moving air, and he wasn't wheezing, and he sounded fine, and he was sniffing, and I'm like, you know, he's he's his color was good, you know, and he wasn't using accessory muscles or anything, and I'm like, I really think he's just has nasal congestion, like I don't I don't think he needs any oxygen, like he's he's fine. Like he's got a cold. Um, and again, I'm sure the family went straight to the ER when the plane landed. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. But like they, yeah, they, they gave me, actually several of the flights, they made me fill out this whole sh- thing of paperwork. But that flight in particular, they were like giving me attitude, the flight attendants, as if I was like making up that I was a medical professional. And I'm like, why? We- <sighs> why would you? And that's like people, you know, back in the day, they always said that if you volunteer on a flight, you get like a free flight or something. I didn't even get a thing. I don't get, I didn't get, I got like nothing. No, thank you. No, no. Have you ever gotten anything? I think a glass of, you know, whiskey. Yeah. (laughs) I did get a a free flight for the one in, that I landed in Amarillo. Um, But. Man. The other thing is I was, I was since in anticipation of this recording, I was talking with my coworkers about this and I, we looked up good Samaritan laws. Uh, oh, I'm so glad I want to talk to, I was going to, this is exactly where I wanted to go next. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. No. So, you know, I just they, were like, to, I mean, it, they were wondering what the deal was. And I was like, so 
it, there's state by state jurisdiction, but there's a national or maybe even international Good Samaritan for, for airplanes because obviously you're flying between states. Oh. And so you're basically just covered. Like you just don't need to worry that someone's going to sue you if you help on a plane. That's great. I'm, I mean, at least I th- within the United States, you were like, we've both had international experiences. So. Yeah. yeah, I've never, you know, I've never looked it up. Um, and I guess part of the reason I've never looked it up is because I don't want it to, I would never want it to dissuade me from Helping. acting. Great. Yeah. No, I think, I think somebody, I don't know when they put it in effect, but someone wisely realized that like, you don't want people to not help. <laughs> right, right. And especially if you're trained in emergencies, like real emergencies. Yeah. 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 How fun and wild. I wonder when we can get back to flying again. When, I know. When I just realized that like, this is so irrelevant right now. <laughs> yeah um like my uh just randomly like i you know do you know liz bridges Mm -mm. she's um a phd uh um, she basically i'm gonna screw up what she does she's she's the current um president of the american association of critical care nursing but she um worked in the air force and studied a lot of like hemodynamics, um, especially in flight and all this stuff. Um, like I reached out to her after the, that one experience. Cause I was just like, what was going on with my pe- that lady? But hypoxia happens. Hypoxia happens. Yeah, it does. And I, yeah. Cause what are they only pressurize the plane to like 8,000 feet, right? Eight or 10,000. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still, you're pretty high. Actually, I have to admit that like the, I, the one thing I was driving on I-90 on like 4th of July one year with my friend and all of a sudden we realized everyone was pulling off to the left shoulder and a car had driven in the median down an embankment. And again, my friend was like, Katie, you should go out. I'm like, I do not do trauma medicine. You know, like things can happen in planes, things, at least, you know, you were on a completely stopped plane. Most planes have stuff, you know, yeah. but like I have been thinking for years that I want to do a wilderness medicine trauma course because this is the thing which to me is the most scary is that I'm going to be somewhere and have no equipment at all and, and want to help and have nothing. But you know, there are like these things you can like MacGyver, right? There's like Mm -hmm. entire courses on this. Right. And I feel like I want to do that. I want to learn. When I did my surgery clerkship in uh, med school, I was out at New York Hospital Queens and uh, one of the surgeons I worked with was a trauma surgeon. And he said he'd been on like New Jersey Turnpike and there was an accident and you know, he was came upon it and someone was bleeding out and he like didn't have any IVs or anything. And ever since then he carries IV fluid and IVs in his car because he's like, you can save somebody's life but if you don't have that stuff, like, and I was like, okay, we all, if, if you work in this field and you're used to being able to save lives but then you're out there in the world and you don't have anything. Yeah that feeling of impotence where you're like, I could save you, but I don't have anything. <laughs> right. Your hands are totally tied. Um, yeah. That's like, that's like the next level of like emergency outside the hospital. So yeah, I totally thought about doing the wilderness course just so I can feel slightly more confident. <laughs> yeah. I would love to do something like that myself. Um, there's a guy that I, we work, I work with I don't know if you know a PA 
by the name of Matthew Smith. Um, he did wilderness medicine before he, or what? Well, he EMS in the wilderness, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm probably botching that, but he, you know, basically would just hang out in the backcountry and just wait to be called and like either like run or hop a horse to go help somebody in the wild. Yeah, that one of my friends I think has been doing that, and it's like this combination of like search and rescue, orienteering. Yes you know, EMS, because you have to be able to find yeah. people. <laughs> right. Here are these locations, these coordinates go. Thanks. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, Katie, I, I just want to say thank you so much for swapping stories today. And um, thanks for being on the show. It's so fun. I mean, it's crazy enough to like do our stuff in the hospital, but yeah, there's an extra level. <laughs> uh, we, yes, I guess, you know, the, that first experience that I had I was uh woefully unprepared for that feeling of oh god I don't know I don't know any of this equipment like I don't have all my tools nothing is here you know like I I felt like you said very impotent in that moment like oh god how do I even do the things that I want to do so just one thing just going back to that moment I feel like one thing that anyone who works in critical care needs is that impulse of, am I scared or not scared by this person's condition? Oh yeah. You know, like you walk into a room in the ICU and obviously if they're on the monitor, that helps, but you know, you can like look at someone and be like, this person's in trouble or this person's okay. And I bet you felt this person's in trouble. I bet you felt that. I did. I did. And I, you know, I was younger in my nursing career for sure. Um, yeah, I, I did. I was just like, I don't know what's wrong with her and why is she in and out of consciousness? This is weird and scary. It was really scary. <laughs> well, and that, you know, the other thing is I feel like we feel this strong compulsion to do the diet, you know, be able to diagnose. And if you don't, can't figure out what's wrong, you're like, I'm not smart enough or I'm, I'm yeah. failing, but the truth I'm is, incompetent. The truth is in, is particularly in these situations where you don't have all your stuff you know, you're not going to be necessarily figure out what's wrong with them. You just have to decide if it's like, they're sick. They need people on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Get off this plane. <laughs> go, <laughs> go get some medical help. So you did the well, right thing. You're a hero. Uh, <laughs> mm, well, thank you. Same with you. Good on you. Thanks. Um, <laughs> and yeah, funny, funny that you met Jenny Hartley at the Seattle rep mm-hmm. during that experience. That's so cool. Yep. I was like, well, well we're in good hands. Jenny's here. We're all set. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Um, and any last closing thoughts for today, Katie? Um, I'm trying to like wax poetic around the topic. Um, I just feel like so much of this is that we have to give ourselves grace, you know, that like, Mm. whether we're working in the ICU, whether on the airplane or whatever, like it's, we're all, you know, we second guess ourselves a lot, but these situations are tough and they're not straightforward. And like, they're not the fact that we, I think Cam said this on his, just like showing up, showing up is like so big. Mm. Um, And I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to like, do magic but like showing up and just 
what you did for the, the patient, what you did for the flight attendants who were probably freaking out, the pilot was grateful to you. <laughs> like everyone was just glad you were there, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and we should give ourselves the grace of being like, that's, that's a big thing, we showed up. Yeah, well, I know a lot of people that absolutely will not respond to emergencies on a plane. It's scary. So. I don't know why people won't, honestly. Maybe it's this the fear of not being able to help. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're gonna get there and not know what to do. Which is totally yeah. possible. <laughs> like that <happens>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Totally. Well, uh thanks again, Katie. Thank you. Um, uh, you're awesome and it's great to see your face virtually and uh hang in there and maybe we'll do this again sometime. Well, I really appreciate you inviting me back and I appreciate the show. So keep up the good work. Thank you. I've got some really cool stuff coming up. So you're going to, you're going to love tomorrow's episode, which actually will have already dropped by the time this airs. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Okay. Okay. Bye Katie. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.